This afternoon, we're going to be continuing uh, our study in the book of Hebrews once again, uh, looking at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Uh, Last week, we did the first part. This week, we'll be doing the second part. But again, just for the sake of hearing context, let's hear from Hebrews chapter 13, verse the entire chapter, I mean. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have benefited, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come through him. Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who have come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let us pray. Our Father, we have heard this, your word. Help us to receive it as such. We pray that you would plant it within us deeply by your spirit. Strengthen and increase our faith that we might look more to Jesus, resting upon him and receiving from him 
that being the principal act of faith. We ask that we might be strengthened in faith, hope, and love by, by your word, by the power of your spirit, working in each of us according to your will. And may this preacher be clear and accurate, understanding and understandable, being chained to your word that he might freely declare the truth that is your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week in the first part of verse 17, which we'll read again just so it is fresh in our minds, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Last week we looked at who these leaders are and what it is that they do. What it, what it is they do. Uh, these are not civil leaders. These are not our employers. These leaders are those whom God has placed in the life of the church, in the life of the churches, as the elders, the bishops, the pastors, all three of those being synonymous for the same office. The elder being mo- most representing the office, and bishop and, and pastor speaking of, the f- of functions. Overseer having to do with leading and uh, pastor having to do with shepherding and caring. Recognizing that these are not chief shepherds. There is only one chief shepherd of Redeeming Grace Church and every other gospel church throughout the world. And it is not an elder. It is not a pastor. That chief shepherd is our Lord Jesus Christ. Such officers also are not elders, pastors, overseers of every church that is out there. Nor does the universal church have a pastor or elder or bishop that we can see. As we mentioned, someone once asked when we came to a a pastor who was kind of getting into trouble and doing things, someone said, well, maybe the universal church should do something about that. And a friend of mine said, yeah, Jesus is the pastor of that church. We also looked at their function. And their function has everything to do with what we are talking about here in Hebrews chapter 13, which has to do with growing in the one who's the greater than. Remember, Jesus is the greater than. He is greater. He is the greatest revelation. He is greater than angels. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than the priesthood. He is the greatest sacrifice. Our call is to hold upon him, hold on to him by faith. And now we are seeing what it is to grow in him. First of all, holding on to him, pursuing the righteousness, the holiness that is already ours. Be, uh, seek to be at peace with all men and, pers- and pursue, the, pursue peace with all men and the righteousness by which no one will see the Lord. What is the righteousness that no one will see the Lord? That is perfect righteousness. And he says, pursue that righteousness which is already ours. That's the call of Christian life by faith. To love one another, to show hospitality to strangers, being in solidarity with our persecuted brothers, honoring marriage, being free from the love of money, knowing that God is with us in Christ, being content with what we have. 
and remembering the leaders. Remember, this is uh, in earlier in chapter 13, we talked about remember our leaders. Those leaders being those who had gone before, who had shared the gospel. He speaks of them in the past tense, meaning they are no longer with them. They have probably been persecuted and jailed or killed, or they just simply, simply died. But he says, remember the outcome of their faith. Imitate that. Remembering that the altar from which we eat is the superior. It is the fulfillment of all that has gone before and all that has gone before no longer is in force and never will be in force. Again. And we mentioned last time we returned to the idea of leaders. And the function of these leaders is this. They are the overseers of our souls. Sometimes that's a hard idea for us to grasp. We say, well, I'm responsible for myself. I'm my own overseer. I don't need someone telling me what God's God's word says. That's how God has designed it. God has designed it that he has given elders. He's given pastors for the spiritual good of his people. Ephesians 4 speaks of that. That there is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. That is something, but it is not Christianity. God has given elders to preach the word. If we seek to do it on our own, we will go off course. Because we are not as smart as we think we are. We are not the best Bible readers ever. We need one another. Those elders, pastors, and bishops have to be qualified. They minister to us the word of God, and they feed to us the word of God, and they serve in prayer. Through the preaching of the word, both publicly and privately. That is what we're doing right now. That's publicly. And then there's also counseling chambers and visitation. Those are all opportunities for the word. There's facilitating and directing the service of worship, which contains in which we have the preaching of the word, the administering of the sacraments. We have prayers together. We have fellowship. Those are what we call the means of grace. The ordinary, typical means that God uses to grow us and strengthen us. And through prayer. They serve through prayer. In Acts chapter 6, the first elders, the apostles, were brought a a controversy in which the Hellenistic, that is the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, were not getting the the Sunday distribution of bread. And there arose a controversy. They brought the apostles and they said, this is not for us to to, to wait tables. Choose among for yourself six men who will do this. And they did that. Those were the first deacons. But he said, for we need to give ourselves to to the ministry of the word and to prayer. That is what these leaders do. The ministry of the word and prayer. Lastly, we mentioned the principle of obeying our leaders and submitting to them. Mentioned that we would deal with, with more of that this week. And that is what we are dealing with this week. What it is and why we obey and submit to these leaders. Those are two words, obey and submit. 
that if we are honest with ourselves, great against us. We hear obey and we hear submit and we think, nah. Because we think, along with that singer, I do it, I do it my way. Or we have the Burger King mentality, have it your way. We grade against the idea that there is authority and that we need to submit to authority. Scripture has all sorts of of exhortations to submit to authority. We have submission to civil authorities. We are called to, and we mentioned last week, a very broad command to submit to civil authorities. Very broad. Meaning that the only, only time we can disobey is when it crosses Christian conscience. Informed by the scriptures. We also see parental authority. All, you know, the, the command to submit to authorities descends from the fifth commandment, in which the most basic of human authoritative relationships, parent and child, comes. When we, when the, when we speak of the authority of church leaders, we mentioned last time that the authority of the pastor, the elder, the bishop, begins and ends with the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. Begins and ends with the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. A pastor or elder who seeks to bind our conscience to something that goes beyond that is stepping outside of his lane and misusing authority. Now there's things which we've also covenanted together which we have agreed to and our covenant together that a lot of circum a lot of things that are circumstances like when we meet and where we meet and things like that those are things which elders also oversee but those are things that are subject you know that can be subject to change but the scriptures of the old and new testament cannot be subject to change so if i ever tell you you must wear blue socks i have crossed the line But it goes beyond that. If I try to tell you the best way to fix your car from the the office of pastor, I have overstepped my authority. Now, if I know car mechanics and somebody comes to me, what's the best way to fix my car? I'm doing that well. Just like J. Gresham Machen, as an illustration, just just reviewing this so we understand obedience and submission, J. Gresham Machen when his denomination at the time was putting forward the idea of writing a position paper on a certain issue related to a policy in society. It had to do with prohibition. His denomination uh, was proposing writing a position paper in favor of prohibition. That was the outline of alcohol and such in the United States. J. Gresham Machen voted against it, and it's not because he he liked to drink, and it's not because he was opposed to prohibition. He kind of personally was for it. But he voted against the position paper because he says, I, the elders of the Presbyterian Church, 
that oversteps our authority and our sphere. When he was brought before Congress to testify because he was well known that he was opposed to the formation of a new department, he was brought to testify and answer. And they said, Reverend Machen. And he stopped and he said, it is Mr. Machen because I'm not speaking on behalf of the Presbyterian Church today. I'm speaking as a citizen because that would, be, that would have been outside the purview of his office of pastor. Remember, there's scripture reveals to us all that we need to know for salvation, but the Bible is not a physician's desk reference. It is not a political science handbook, nor is it even a science book, though it does speak to things related to creation and everything like that. It tells us the history of redemption. So, why do we submit to elders? Why are we called to submit to elders? He says it explicitly, they are the ones appointed by God to keep watch over our soul. That is, God has given elders, those who are faithful. And last week we mentioned, uh, quoted Calvin, and he said this is referring to those who are faithful to their duties, those who are faithful to proclaiming the word of Christ. Because they watch over our souls. It is to our benefit, inasmuch as these elders are true to the word, that we submit to them. That inasmuch as they are seeking to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace in the life of the church, that we submit to them. And again, if I come to you and say, thus saith the Lord, I think you need to become an engineer you have the freedom to tell me that I'm full of pocky, uh, cocky pop, pop, poppycock. All Christians are called to obedience and submission to authority. Again, not, quali- not unqualified blanket obedience. Blanket obedience could lead to, uh, you remember, uh, some of you maybe, I don't think anyone here is too young to remember it, but the Jim Jones massacre. That was, unqual- that was unqualified blind obedience. This is not for what it is calling. Nor does this provide the basis for an authoritarian church in which every aspect of someone's life is micromanaged by the church. That is, the clothes you wear, the job you're going to take, the school you're going to go to, even, it is not within my purview, the purview of an elder, to dictate to a family the best way to educate their child. I can give, we can give wisdom, we can give counsel, but there really is not a thus saith the Lord to which, I can, which an elder can appeal.
But this call to obedience is a call to an obedient heart. It is a call to recognize that God has given this office, the office of elder and pastor and bishop, which is the office of elder, those who function as bishops and pastors, as gifts to us from Ephesians chapter 4, for our benefit and for our good. Which means we listen. We give attention. We pay heed to the instruction from the word. One of the questions we ask at baptism. Some of you were baptized here and you've heard those questions and were answered in the affirmative. One of those questions is, will you seek out wherever you may be? Will you seek out the fellowship of God's church? And will you submit to her discipline, admonition and instruction? Now, the elders are not the church, but the elders are the leaders of the church. That's the difference between this and Roman Catholicism, remember. Roman Catholicism, the priesthood is the church. And furthermore, the elders are not a go-between between between God and Christ and his people. They declare, we declare Christ. They make known Christ. They preach Christ but are not the ones through whom must one must approach God in Christ, nor do those elders make up doctrine as, as they go. That's one reason why we, as a church, have a very thorough confession of faith. 32 chapters, plus an appendix, and as you might see, uh, assuming it is approved, a second appendix. Part of that is to protect the church from the whims of the elders. But when we look at that, we say we may find scruples and disagreements, but one of the things elders do is seek to maintain the unity of, of, the, of the spirit and the bond of peace by not making issues of our scruples and dealing with them appropriately. Such as going, man, you see this thing? I think it's awful. And then sowing division and discord. Rather than going to the elders and saying, I have a question about this and I wonder if this is true. Remember, God has given these leaders for our good, for your good, for my good. These leaders labor to that end. So we must pay heed to their discipline and instruction of those whom God has placed in his church. Listen to the preaching. Listen to the instruction. Feed upon it. Chew on it. That also implies that you're actually listen, we're actually listening to it. In our church, our sermons are up on the website. It's encouraged to download them and listen to them. Again. In fact, I sometimes have to do that because to my own shame, I actually... Someone asks me a couple hours after I preach, say, what did you preach on? And say, I have to listen to it again. Do so joyfully and do so without dissension. Keep 
during the last several years. There have been many opportunities for growth among pastors throughout the land with regards to what we can bind people to and what we can't bind people to, as well as for exercises for folks to learn in submitting to the leaders of a church. It is not for me or any other pastor or elder as as far as as at this point can be seen in the scripture may bind someone's conscience to many of the different controversies that have happened over the last few years. Whether it comes to things like masks or different medications or things like that. We need to learn to make room for what's known as common grace. And if the elders and if the eldership uh, sees in scripture, there's no basis for binding a conscience, nor we must submit to the instruction that says we will not bind one another's consciences to these things. Those fall under the category of what we see in first Timothy as foolish controversies that only breed division. We have a greater thing to which we are tied. That must always go above in counseling, in preaching, listening to the counsel. Part of this obedience and submission has to do with whining and armchair pastoring as well. How many men, I mean, there might be women who do this too, because maybe you know this. How many of us will watch a football game, if you watch football, or hockey, or another sport, and never have actually played the game. And, and on a Saturday, like when I'm watching my Aggies, which I don't anymore because my blood pressure can't handle it. But when I did, I would, I would be an armchair quarterback saying, why doesn't he run this play? Why doesn't he run that play? When I never played the game. It also involves coming alongside our elders and our pastors. Such as I saw a question posed on on an online forum by someone. And I very rarely reply to those things. But I was very irritated by what the person said. This person said, my pastor is always tired and weary. And doesn't doesn't seem to be always all there and fully engaged. He's tired and weary. I think this man is disqualified. I gave the young man a, uh, assuming a young man, and again, I very rarely do this, but a quick, swift kick and said, this person is probably worn down with all sorts of things coming his way and tired and who knows what else, what he has going on at home. You need to, and I, and I said, you need to, you need to learn how to leave a place for weakness. In fact, there's a really good book by that title. You should read it. is when you see when we see our pastors not fulfi- not not being up to what we think they should be recognizing that the pastors are human as well and get tired and get sleepy and get sick 
coming alongside and say, how can I help you? Because pastors help us. And furthermore, who has God placed in our lives for our good? Is it that random YouTuber that we listen to? Is it a podcast host? Is it, our, is it a pastor we like listening to who's across the country? Those pastors, God and others, and some of those YouTubers refuse to be parts of a church anyway. I would say maybe you need to uh, uh, go and submit to, submit to some elders somewhere. But as much as I like someone like Alistair Begg and listening to him, God has placed him in his own church, ministering to the needs of that congregation, where they are and the things they are dealing with. Which is why we have two different pastors who are generally, who are generally, you know, faithful to the word and they come to the same text and they have entirely different applications. It's because they're different churches with different, different pl- where they are in different places. They see the same meaning of the text, but they apply it differently with different focuses. Also imitating the example in as much as they follow Christ. One thing I know a number of my colleagues try to do is during difficult times, during times in which there's a, travail, a lot of travail, uh, such as, you know, as I mentioned before, in the next year, as typically there will be, among a lot of Christians, a lot of hand-wringing and worry and all sorts of other things. Trying to maintain a posture of steadiness and stableness and not running around like a chicken with, it, with his head cut off. Not all do that, but a number of my colleagues do, and I pray that I do. And another way, and these some of these are speaking from my own experience. If you are, if a Christian is dealing, if you are, uh, if if one of you or one of us is dealing with a struggle, be it a personal struggle, be it a marital marital struggle. Anything. Being vulnerable and not waiting until things are way out of hand to come and say, I need help. That's a way of submitting to and obeying the elders of a church. Doesn't mean you need even need to go to an elder. Just go to someone. Another reason, and again remember this is because elders are seeking our growth. We submit because God, those faithful elders whom God has given, are seeking the growth and the protection of God's people, protecting from false doctrine, protecting from errors. As mentioned a moment ago, there are all sorts of things that we like to learn about and to study. There are all sorts of things about which we like to speculate. 
Maybe one of maybe we might like to speculate who who is the grand master, who is uh, arch, who is the architect of all the evil in the world. I'm going to tell you my own opinion. It's not one single person. It's just the human race. under the influence of the enemy. But to not make those issues. If you want to look at that and pursue that, fine. Do it on your own time and do it. And keep it to yourself. Don't make it something this. We need to be focusing upon this particular rich person because this person is the awful person in the world. And I must say, again, where is it here? Another reason is so, and and again, pursuing, we need the ministry of elders. We need them. I need them as well as an elder. It's one reason we mentioned last time, we have an associate, we're part of an association of churches. The way the pastors can be pastored. One reason why there's multiple elders, there should be multiple elders. We talked about that last week, about a, a line in the business meeting. For next week. Another reason is so that their labors will be a joy and not a burden. R. Kent Hughes in his commentary on this section. Speaks about a book that he and his wife wrote called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. But in that book they found that pastors are some of the most hurting and abused folks throughout society. Now, I have not found that here in our church, praise the Lord. I've felt very loved and supported. But in doing that survey, and again, this book is kind of old, so it speaks of a a different era, but many of these things are still true. One of the reasons is Christian media. In that He said millions of Christians spend hours daily listening to Christian radio where they hear a top handful of Christian preachers. Of course, now it's not so much radio, but Internet. And teachers giving their best stuff, edited and packaged with artistically interspersed background music. Though once isolated, farmers today plow their fields tuned in with headphones while their wives listen to the same programs one after another. Sometimes for eight hours a day as they go about their household duties. When they come to church on Sunday, they find the fair to be pedestrian and dull in comparison. So at the door, the pastor hears things like, that was interesting, pastor. Hey, I have a tape by Frank Lee Terrific. That is along the same line. I think you should listen to it. In fact, here it is. The pastor smiles and says, thank you. He gets the message, but also senses a reduction of his authority and his ministry in the church. Another one is big business mentality. Another source of abuse for those in ministry is a rung-dropping business world mentality that divides its world into a big fish and small fry. The mindset regards the captains of, say, the food industry as fit subjects for veneration, whereas the proprietors of a mom-and-pop grocery store are scarcely worthy of notice. The result in such minds is that the proprietors of a mom-and-pop church are, well, shall we say, lightweights. 
Another one he says, and this might poke us a little bit, American individualism and subjectivism. He says American individualism is proverbial and millions of Christians are afflicted with an underlying attitude of the imagines we can each go it alone without the church or anyone else. If we have the Lord, we need nothing else. In fact, this line of thinking can even conclude that bowing to any human spiritual authority will result in a reduction in one's own spiritual spirituality. This reaches its destructive apex when a person says, well, that's what you think, pastor, but my opinion is as good as yours. The truth is one's opinion may be better than the pastor's, but the, but the appeal to the magisterium of one's subjective opinion is a specious appeal. One's opinion is only as good or better than another's if it is supported by scripture and rigorous logic. Pastoral authority evaporates where individualism and subjectivism reign. And he concludes by saying, we see that leadership is difficult in modern church, in the modern church, because the ever-present um, <clears throat> radio or internet or YouTube or podcast or TikTok, so forth, so, so on, and ad infinitum, has inbred in some an implicit disregard for local pulpits. The disregard has been further fed by a worldly business mentality that regards bigger is worthy of more respect mix in the anti-authoritarian strain of american individualism and subjectivism and it all adds up to a leadership crisis for the modern church an entire generation of beat-up clergy no wonder in so many places the church is awash drifting aimlessly and at the mercy of the hostile seas of neo-pagan culture if you show me a church that has a history of chewing up pastors and spitting them out and sending them on their way, I will show you a church that has very little doctrinal founding, that has very little help. And I praise the Lord that this church does not have a history of doing that, by the way. But as a reminder, we bring this up. And, and why do we not wish to burden? Why do we wish for their ministry to be a joy? First of all, remember 1 Peter chapter 5, in which he exhorts the elders. Verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pastors are called upon to do so willingly and joyously. And we should make that as easy as possible for them so to do. And he says, if they are burdened, what good is that to you? That is, if they are weighed down and burdened because of dissension, because of a refusal to submit, because of a, a lot of pride. Let me ask us, how effective can that pastor be in overseeing our souls, in caring for us, in watching over us? if it's a constant series of putting out various fires, if it's a constant series of whining and rebellion and dissension. John Calvin says, 
if their spirits are depressed with grief or weariness, even if otherwise they are sincere and faithful, they will become disheartened because their drive will fail at the same time as their cheerfulness. The apostle therefore says that it will be unprofitable for people to bring grief and sorrow to their pastors by their ingratitude, so as to show that we shall be troublesome or disobedient to our pastors only at the risk of our own spiritual health. And remembering, part of that is also remembering that elders are not supermen. They are, they are, elders are fellow sheep who have been tasked to be under shepherds. You might say in, uh, out in uh, the cow fields, there's one cow who's the bell cow. And that's the cow that has a bell on it. And that cow basically is the lead cow. Where that cow goes, all the other cows follow because of the bell ringing. And so it is with sheep. The fellow sheep whom God has called to, to point to the one who's the chief shepherd, to go and lead the people to the one who is the source of food and the source of life. So why would we not seek to submit and to obey? To imitate? Knowing that they also are not supermen. There's all sorts of things that people can get upset about in the life of a church. There's the trope, you might say, which is reality of churches splitting because one crowd got the carpet collar they wanted. Thankfully, you know, we don't get to choose the carpet collar here. This is not our building. Or the water, the newly installed water fountain was on was on the right side and not the left side. These are all reasons that I've heard from pastors why churches have had splits. One of the hardest things that pastors have to deal with in the worship of God, especially in the current age. I think it's been true throughout, but certain elements of battles that went back to the 80s have made life kind of a headache for pastors. And that has to do with congregational singing. There's not enough newer songs. There's not enough older songs. There's not enough upbeat songs. songs, Too many songs in minor keys. Music's too fast. And then the next week, the music's too slow. So forth and so on. The guitarist or the pianist made mistakes when they played. course you know we don't have a regular pianist but just as an illustration those things are all secondary and things really are not reasons not reasons to divide those are things appropriately to say hey have you considered this there's also another word just to help you and help us that I remember learning in seminary. One thing we don't like hearing 
that really bothered, that really causes consternation is two words. Some people. Some people say. Some people say. Have those people come and speak. A good pastor will have an open door and be willing to hear people. And hear their concerns and hear how things could be done better. Doesn't mean it can always be done. But a good pastor is willing to hear him. So brothers and sisters, and next time we're going to talk about a continuation of this. Uh, verse 19, I urge you the more earnestly to do, um, in verse 18, pray for us. That's another element. We're going to be talking about that next week. Ways we can pray for our elders, pastors, overseers. So brothers and sisters, God has given us many gifts. One of the gifts he's given to his church from Ephesians 4. He's given the apostles and prophets who are foundational. No more apostles and prophets, but the apostles and prophets still speak. They speak here. He's given the evangelists, those whom God has called specifically, uniquely to advance the mission of the church and planting other churches and sharing the gospel. All are called as evangelists. All are called to do evangelism. Not everyone holds that office, that function specifically. Keith was sent out with his wife Carmen as evangelists. And then there is the third, which functionally in the Greek, pastors and teachers. Same, same thing. God has given that, the, that we might become what God has called us to be. So let us, inasmuch as our elders are being faithful, submit and obey. Let us recognize the fact that we need the ministry of the word from those whom God has placed in our, in our, in our lives. Even, even if they are not as eloquent as John Terrific on the internet. Let us pray. Father, blessed be your name, and we thank you that you've given officers to the church to serve as our overseers, as our under-shepherds, pointing us to Christ. We pray, our Lord, that you'd rest upon the eldership of this year, church, that it might faithfully carry out, your, carry out its duties and help us, O oh Lord, as a body, to submit to, God, to submit to true instruction. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.